Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey. Back in action. We're, or in, in action. <laughs> Not quite sure how that works. We is back, and we are full of inaction. And we got a lot of topics, like all kinds of little itty, 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 bitty, 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 bitty topics. It's almost like a cob salad. It is. I actually said bitty and didn't even mean to. <laughs> in a completely different context. That's just wrong. <laughs> we figure out ways to fit that in. I didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> Um, 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 hey, you know, Phil Zimmerman's causing trouble again, isn't he? He's a troublemaker. He's a maker of trouble. He is. He is. Years ago, he wrote that PGP software, pretty good privacy, released it onto the internet. All kinds of heck broke loose. And then what did he do? Then he did PGP phone, which was like a dial up back mm-hmm. in the day of like, I think 28 kilobaud modems. That was when his first version of PGP phone came out. And then we didn't hear from him for a while. He sold PGP and the name and all that good stuff. And then um, he's back. What's he got now? Well, it's a little product called Z Phone. I actually don't know that much about it. Didn't you kind of discover it a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I saw some some announcement. And strangely enough, after after uh, the announcement came out, we did some searches, and it was difficult to find any information on this stuff at all. And then it looks like you picked up another link um, that's active now. Yeah, I was reminded, we've been meaning to talk about it for four or five weeks. I was I get the cryptogram, which is uh, Bruce Schneier's news on uh, computer security and security in general. And uh, I think the cryptogram came today or yesterday, and he did a little blurb on Z Phone. So that kind of made me uh, think to talk about it again. And then I just cut and pasted the link out of his uh, little uh, article and forwarded it to you, and it worked. And not much to say about that, except the fact that he's back. It's uh, It's sort of like a... What is it like? It's like a proxy. Yeah, it, and I think that he's he's put together a, a new protocol over TCP, um, and he's put together a, a new RFC for the, the W3C. How many how many acronyms can I fit into one sentence? PDQ. <laughs> uh, XYZ. No, but I think he's put together his own protocol that he, he wants to become adopted, um, and he's got a beta version out. I guess if, apparently this, this came out last month, the middle of March, Um but now it's it's out and uh, it's a beta version for Macintosh and Linux and a uh, a Windows version is forthcoming I think in April it's April now but sometime in the middle of April yeah so it's going to stick itself between your secure phones and it's going to encrypt your data stream and the guys in the middle won't be able to uh, eavesdrop on your conversations mm-hmm. but uh, Bruce Schneier reminds us that there are always always ways around that there are some authentication schemes that this uses to keep the man in the middle attack from uh, being uh, easily uh, tried 
But Schneier reminds us that there's always the fact that somebody could put a Trojan on your computer that grabs the digital signal before it's encrypted and then sends it out over the internet and things like that. So there's you know there's no way to keep the bad guys from breaking into your and by bad guys I mean the government. You there's, mean the good guys? Yeah. Well, well, those who used to be the good guys. There's no there's nothing from keeping them from breaking into your house and just putting a bug in your computer room and just listening to you that way or bouncing lasers off your computer room window and using the reflected vibrations of the window pane glass to uh they can they have pretty sophisticated technology it's to like be able SWAT. to it's way beyond SWAT. <laughs> it's like you know they're mission just, impossible they're just nuts well there's a new one coming out right so i guess that's appropriate scientology impossible mi3 yeah i was reading some some weirdness about scientology i had never really gotten into uh, uh or read a lot about scientology and and the only reason why i bring this up is because i, I mentioned mission impossible and it reminded me about uh, the lead actor, Scientologist, prominent Scientologist. Um, so I spent a little bit of time this this past week browsing on Scientology, reading up on it, and there are some really strange, strange beliefs. The whole belief system is kind of odd. And and another thing that kind of popped up was there was a news report saying that uh, his new wife, Katie Holmes, mm-hmm. is is about to have a baby, and they're going to be practicing the Scientologist quiet birth practice. Have you heard about this? No. I guess apparently the, the practice is to have no speaking or sound at all during the entire birth. It's like tantric birth. Yeah, kind of, where there's no sound whatsoever. You'd love that environment, I'm sure. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, L. Ron Hoover in the First Church of Applientology. Yeah, one of the strangest things was this doctrine of this 75-million-year-old galactic emperor who uh, who brought down... <laughs> billions of people on these space planes to the planet earth next to these volcanoes and blew up hydrogen bombs and that's the reason for disease on the planet that's a little out there yeah it's a little bit <laughs> wow that wasn't even on the slate talking <laughs> wasn't about even Scientology. On the slate. it just you just completely reminded me of that and i had to bring it up because i thought how bizarre is that and you know here's stream of consciousness i remember when i was a, a freshman in college i was accosted by scientologists did they like assault you well they they accosted you in the much in the same way as that employee accosts you about being a vegetarian. No, this this is uh, much different. This was I was walking down the street in Boston my freshman year of college, and I was just kind of tooling around, learning the city. And someone asked me if I wanted to take a survey, and I said, "Yeah, sure, why not? I've got nothing else to do." So they were in front of this really gorgeous building. It was like this Gothic architecture. It almost looked like a converted church, and as it turns out, it was a practicing church. They brought me in to this room, and it was it was a beautiful room, all hardwoods and everything. And I think I told you about this. A I long think time you ago. talked about it on the the BBSs. Actually, I may have. I think yeah, they, you guys swapped stories. Yes, yes. Um, I think uh, Mr. Uh, Jeff G might have had some stories <laughs> about that too. No, actually. I think there was uh, something about this because Zappa talked about this in his book, that's and I might have talked was. about it, and that spurred the conversation because Zappa was talking about going into some room with some hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher, and and that spawned stories about your plantology. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I mean, it was very similar, but it was it was done in a slick way. I mean, it it was it felt like a psych a psychology test where you have all these sentences saying if, if you were in this situation pick from one of these answers you know what would be the best response so I went through and it was like a 45 minute thing and it was actually kind of fun um, but when it was done they analyzed what I was doing or audited what I was doing and came back and said you know 
here's this baseline of, you know, a well-centered, clear human being. And then here's you. And I was like way below the chart, you know, basically telling me that my life was a shambles and that I was a mess and, and my, my brain patterns are all messed up and I needed their help. And they wanted to give me the book Dianetics for free and all You're of this. You're a train wreck. Yeah. So I, I said, you know what? You're wrong. I'm out of here. And I, I literally walked away. And it was so crazy because I never really got into it after that. And then I this week I was looking at some of these stories about Scientology and, and especially about Tom Cruise. And I'm going, man, I really dodged a bullet. <laughs> I could have got sucked into that if I was a little bit more vulnerable. I wonder what would have happened if they checked your brainwaves now, <laughs> like in the last week. I wonder if that test would have came out any different. They would find a tumor. <laughs> Blue potatoes. <laughs> what about... <laughs> Segway. Blue potatoes. Well, there's. it's written on the board. After PRZ, it says blue potatoes. <laughs> no. And there's no Scientology in between there. There's just a dash. I'm, I'm sorry to, to steer the train off of other tracks. You're just a train wreck. Mm-hmm. Blue potatoes, what right? This em? guy brings these different potatoes that he cooked for some meal he brought a few oh, in his lunch, These a variety of potatoes, and one of them was a blue potato, and he was showing it to everyone in the office, and of course, everyone turned their nose up. He put it on a little plate. He was giving people samples. Here, try the blue potatoes, which, of course, actually occur in nature, mm-hmm. and everybody turned their nose up and went like, oh my God, they'll stuff genetically modified white flour bread down their faces with their hot dogs. But something that actually occurs in nature, a blue potato, they scoff at. I wouldn't eat that. It's insane. It's it's just nuts. Because if they close their eyes, they probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference unless they were a chef and they were they were just, you know, testing flavor notes. Or they had a very sophisticated palate. But yeah. I've had blue potatoes. I think they're great. I like pretty much all red potatoes are my favorite, but I, I blue potatoes are great. Yep. Potatoes of all sorts. <laughs> that kind of stuff just strikes me. That just gets my ire up, you know? They eat all this crap. What is ire and how do you get it up? Well, they've got a pill. Well, is it a blue pill? It is. Blue it's potato. A blue, there's a NASCAR. Uh, it's on the hood of it. It says, get your ire up. Speaking of which, I was watching uh, television today and I saw a clip of NASCAR. And I guess one of the cars is sponsored by pork. Oh, the other white meat. That's right. Genetically this, modified pork? I'm seeing this car flying down the straightaway and on the front it just says pork that's all <laughs> struck me as funny anyway so the, the blue potato saga just irked me a little bit friday and i mean there was one guy and i'm gonna quote him this is not me he said blue potatoes taste like sweaty ass okay so that was what one of the guys said well the the, the obvious comeback is and how would you yeah. know <laughs> yeah that's that's the obvious comeback but that just strikes me as like a little eight-year-old saying Oh, I can't have funny. the uh, yeah. I don't want the brown bread. Give me the white bread. I don't. I'm gonna cry. I don't want the blue potato. All right, I'm getting a little over the top now. Just put butter, sour cream, salt, pepper, vinegar, mayonnaise, whatever you want on top of it, and you probably can't taste the blue potato anymore. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's funny that you should talk about pork. <laughs> <laughs> pork. What about pork? It's a great segue for our next song, or the song, the first song. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that. Yeah, we got a song. It's uh, by our friend Stoat. It's called Fat Pig. Still 
inside of the Cusack stand And it'll be okay, baby, okay in the end As the teeth grow long, as a body breaks As the mind grows soft, reason starts to shake song of the next one see the setting sun for the final time and it'll be okay baby okay by and by Those guys, uh, they always amuse me. Stout? <laughs> They're not going to send us anything else if you keep calling them stout. Well, it took them like eight years to make this record, so <laughs> I don't think we'll, uh, there's any great uh, there's any great anticipation of the next one coming out too soon, but hopefully it will. I hope so, and, and I don't think uh, your negative comments are helping any at all. Blue potatoes. <laughs> Do you Did want to I talk, talk more? about those? You want to talk more about blue potatoes? Is there anything else? And those who won't eat them. Next on Springer. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a, a litany of topics. Yeah, litany. Uh, actually, the first couple of things are from the world of taxes, you know, specifically because tax day is upon us. Um, as it came out, the, the president, the vice president's tax returns have been made somewhat public. 
And I just want to address this this fallacy that people are kicking around that because of the the vice president's, uh, I guess, his moral standing, he had to divest himself from Halliburton. And and anytime there's a charge about his his influence from Halliburton or his influence on Halliburton comes up, they always say, oh, well, he had to completely divorce himself from Halliburton when he became the vice president. Well, it's, it's not really so. Um, and I want to stress that fact because he actually made more money from Halliburton this year than from his job as vice president. On his tax return, he claimed $211,000 income from Halliburton and $205,000 income from his vice presidential job. That's, yeah, that's... And, and it's, you know, to someone like him, who's, whose total income was over, well, $8 million, something close to $9 million, $200,000 might not seem like a lot, but that's just the pittance that he's getting now. He's got all sorts of options that he can sell. He's He's got millions and millions of dollars tied up in Halliburton, so I don't want anyone claiming anymore that he has no connections to Halliburton and all these uh, strange coincidences where Halliburton's getting all the jobs, the contracting jobs. In coincidences? Iraq. Yeah. Can someone say uh, yeah, conflict just, of interest? Yeah. To me, I would, if I were him, and I don't think I would ever be him, but if I were him... But if you were him... But if I were him... You'd be having a heart attack right now and shooting a <laughs> shotgun at somebody at the same time. Okay, we finally addressed that. We completely while, ignored the hunting issue. While eating sausage. Right. <laughs> Pork. No, so the other if, way. If I were him, just so that I wouldn't even have the, the appearance of impropriety, I would make sure that Halliburton didn't get any of those jobs. But, you know, that's me. I'm crazy like that. This administration doesn't seem to care about the appearance of impropriety at all because everything they're doing is is basically... What's the word I want? Stay in the course. Criminal. <laughs> Criminal. <laughs> and nobody seems to be saying anything about it. I think we're the only people talking about this. No, I think a lot of other people are talking about it. But I, I, Who? Okay, Phil Donahue. He's not talking anymore. He's, yeah. No, there are a lot of people talking about it, but... Not nearly enough. But it's actually, they're really starting to light a fire under these guys' feet now due to a couple of things, including the thing we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes. But not right this second. Not right now. Next, no. we're going to talk about Scientology. No, no. <laughs> not unless I go off on another tangent. Now, in this one, um, again, taxes. It looks like 15 states plus the District of Columbia, they've, uh, they've gotten on board with taxing purchases of music on the Internet. They're calling this the iTunes tax. Um, and there is a, a group called the, the National Taxpayers Union, seems to be a, a, a nonpartisan group. Uh, I don't know if it's a political action committee or something, but they're coming up against this thing saying, oh my God, we can't be taxing. And their argument, and I want to bring their argument to, to light here, their argument is we can't be taxing the sale of, of music on the internet because ultimately people who have who are buying things on the internet are already paying taxes for their internet connection, they're already the people who are producing the music. They're already paying taxes on the properties that they're holding. There's all sorts of taxes for the the communications, the the pipeline, all of this. To me, this kind of argument doesn't fly because then you could use that argument to say nobody should be paying taxes for anything. Because why should I be paying taxes when I go to the grocery store? Because they've paid taxes on the on the items that they purchased to stock their shelves. They're paying taxes. For their employees, they're paying taxes for all the utilities. They're paying taxes for their property. What's the point? So 
All I'm saying with this whole iTunes tax thing is I'm surprised it's taken this long for people to start taxing Internet purchases. Well, I have a different perspective on taxation in general. I mean, ever since 1980, when Reagan got in the office, one of the ways he's redistributed wealth for the wealthy was by changing the putting the tax burden on people who can't afford it from those who can, Mm -hmm. i.e. wealthy people. And I mean, just look at the the current. Uh, sales tax in Oneida County, where where I I reside, I it's mean, what one of the it? highest in it's, the nation. It's isn't up it? near ten percent or something, nine point yeah. two five or something. They actually just backed it off. I think they lowered it a half of like eight and a quarter or something. Yeah, they backed it down a little bit. But I mean, taxation is already being paid. Taxes are already being paid by those who can't afford them, and this is just another way. You know, to generate revenue by taxing people who really can't afford it. I mean, it, we were talking about Barbara Ehrenreich and nickel and dime and not being able to make it in America anymore. More tax is bad. <laughs> well, I don't disagree that, that more tax is bad. And I don't want people to, to think that I'm I'm against this whole thing uh, or against this uh, National Taxpayers Union uh, argument because I think that taxes are necessarily a good thing. All I'm saying is... They're they're looking at it at the wrong end of the of this uh, this whole system. They're they're looking at one instance where people are getting taxed, and they're trying to fight that one thing. The tax system itself is kind of screwed, so they shouldn't be looking at just iTunes taxes. They should be looking at taxation in general. Oh, I, I definitely agree, and I certainly wasn't accusing uh, you of being pro-tax. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely you're a not. tax and spend Democrat, aren't you? <laughs> I so hate that phrase. <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually registered independent. <laughs> You can do that? Yes. Oh. Do they come after you and knock on your door in the middle of the night? They, they have to actually test your independence. They give you a quiz. It's a blood test. Yeah. <laughs> iTunes tax. Okay, cool. What else? Um, oh, yeah. And speaking of uh, our governmental uh, employees, Mr. Rumsfeld. Rummy? Rummy. Is that what they call him? Some people call him Rummy, and I think it's very appropriate. <laughs> because of gin rummy? Yep. That's exactly why. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting. I don't really have a whole lot of details on this, and um, and I know that we've talked a lot about the incompetence uh, of the, uh, the the Defense Department and, and the stuff that's going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. But I think I wouldn't label level that charge at the Defense Department. I would label it at the superiors. You know, the, I would label it at the cabinet, perhaps. the administration. Yeah, the administration, the civilian Defense Department. But there are a lot of. I mean, if you got to go to war, we got some of the best guys in there who know what they're doing. It's just that guys like oh, Rummy, yeah. Rummy aren't them. Yeah, and I think that what I'm about to say kind of is a testament to that. There are a group of uh, generals, and these aren't just some. Uh, why no generals who are, are babbling in front of town hall? This is a bunch of uh, competent generals, former Joint Chiefs members, former commanders on the ground in Iraq. Um, they've come out and they've said that they think that Donald Rumsfeld should resign. They've come out strongly and said that they need to clean house. And they ha- in the, the article that I was reading, they didn't really have a whole lot of strong arguments for why, but they, they sort of had this sense saying that there's a lot of micromanagement of the generals. There's not a lot of uh, give and take where if the generals give advice on what should be done, you know, numbers of troops on the ground, tactics, all, all of these things are kind of dismissed. And the civilians, the guys like Rumsfeld and, and Wolfowitz, they're the ones making the, the, the tactical decisions and the, the guys and the fatigues have to sort of put their bodies on the line, and it's not working. Their, their tactics and their strategies are just wrong. Well, this administration, the, despite its pro-war stance and God having declared George Bush, because I heard it, God declared George Bush the war president. Despite all of these amazing uh, 
uh, credentials, of course, they have none. None of these guys have ever spent a day in the military. And I'm right. talking about Rumsfeld. I'm talking about Bush. And I'm talking about Cheney. I don't know about Wolfowitz. I can't speak to him. I'm pretty sure he hasn't either. Yeah. And, they, you know, of course, they went after Clinton back back in 92 uh, or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, as being a, a draft dodger. And then, of course, they completely uh, turned it around and made Kerry, who was a, a war hero, for lack of a better way of putting it, they made him uh, sound like a phony, you know, through their attacks on the swift boat veterans for justice or whatever that BS thing came up with. But anyway, yeah. this this administration has no credibility on the war issue, and they're putting our guys with without proper armor and without proper all kinds of equipment on the line to fight their their war, so American corporations can get richer. Corporations like Halliburton. I mean, these guys are just criminals. I'm going to say it again. You know, and I don't necessarily think that you have to be a uh, a war veteran to understand war and to be a leader in war. I do think that you have to take the advice of war veterans into consideration and you have to use that weighing strongly in your decision making. You'll never hear me make the argument that to be commander in chief, you had to be in the military. I was uh, defending that part of Clinton's record back in 92 or whenever was his first year here. And it was 92, wasn't it? 92 to 2000. Yeah. Can't remember. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a fog. Yeah. It was. (laughs) A Muscovite pot smoke. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So you'll never hear me making that claim that anybody actually needed to uh, have been in the military to be the president. But, you know, these guys are committing an awful lot of resource of of our resources, our tax dollars, dollars Mm -hmm. that you and I have paid to this war on Iraq. And mind you, things like hurricanes are happening back home and we have no infrastructure to help out American citizens. And it just angers me a great deal. You know? Yeah. The the one thing that I, I am going to agree with you strongly on here, and I don't think that we're in disagreement on on much of this, but the one thing I'm going to agree with you very strongly is there seems to be a lack of respect for the the military, even in in the midst of all of their table banging and I would even say shoe banging on the table about how they're the strong on defense group. But they don't respect the soldiers because if they they did, they they wouldn't be putting them in situations like this. I mean... Look, every they've managed to convince everybody out there that we're doing this to liberate the Iraqis, which is just a load of bullshit. But, you know, if you're inclined to believe that, fine. But we do need to send – if you're going to send these kids into war, I think it needs to be for legitimate circumstances. And I would argue that these aren't. And, geez, every day we're finding more and more scandalous evidence that everything this administration has said about their reasons for going to war has been a lie. And, by the way, on the topic of Rummy, I saw on – um uh, the, 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 the truth out. I was reading truth out a little earlier today, and there's a bunch of evidence that, and I don't know if, if this is fact at all, but there's a bunch of evidence that suggests that Rumsfeld was actually present during prisoner abuses at Guantanamo Bay and actually ordered some of the prisoner abuses at Guantanamo Bay. So that would pretty much make this guy just an evil bastard. You yeah, know? I wouldn't be surprised if, if he was you know, on the ground in Guantanamo during uh, some of that stuff. Because I have heard him give all sorts of double speak on, you know, well, what's the definition of torture? You know, what's the definition of maltreatment? As far as I'm concerned, some of that stuff is just kind of crazy. Um, yeah, well, double speak is pretty much the modus operandi of this administration. I mean, you could pretty much use the previous six years of this administration as a, a handbook, a field guide to 1984 by George Orwell. <laughs> They've taken every one of his double speak tricks and used them, and they're working. Well, with a compliant media that does what it's told, but they probably have copies of Cliff Notes 1984 on each desk, yellow with the black, the, <laughs> the right. black and yellow borders. That's right. 
Anyway, yeah, well, there you go. Three topics, quick little blurbs on all of them. We got another tune. Yeah, and I love the title of this one. This one's a great track. We played Red Herring a couple of two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine weeks ago, and uh, we still don't know the song names, so this one is just Song 4 by Red Herring.
Nice track. Definitely grooving on those guys. Uh, once again, I think that's the best band to ever come out of Central New York. I think I talked about this. They played at Woodstock mm-hmm. in 99 as one of the sort of like the Thursday opening day bands that were allowed to play. There were a variety of New York State bands that were allowed to play as kids were kind of tooling in for the big weekend on mm-hmm. Thursday. These were one of the bands that I'd worked with, and um, they went out there. They rehearsed their ass off, so they were ready, and they were you know expecting people to be there, perhaps right. music scouts or whatever. So they had rehearsed like relentlessly. They... It's almost as if a stylist dressed them. They went out there with really cool clothes on, not jeans, but not overdressed, not like, you know. Flock of Seagulls kind of stuff? No, yeah, not <laughs> not trite-looking costumes that you'd go, oh, they're just costumes. Skinny ties with piano keys on them? Nothing like that, yeah. They went out there dressed to kill and played the most slamming set I've ever seen. I don't think anything came of it. I don't know if any, you know, they were offered any deals as a result of that, but uh, they were just mind blowing. It was a really great performance. I was side stage. I might even have some pictures of that. If I can find them, I'll put them up on the website. Yeah, they've got a, a I've said this before, they've got a, a live kind of feel. Not live as in, you know, not dead, but live the band. They, they've got that kind of vibe. Yeah, I love those guys. I think they're phenomenal. And again, we're, two of those guys are in a band called uh, Modus. And uh, hopefully they expressed an interest in wanting to be on the show, and we'll have a couple of them on here, and we'll play some of Modus's tunes after they uh, release their upcoming full-length CD. What would be great is if we can do one of those gigs where we can meet them someplace. It's acoustically uh, nice, clean. You want background noise? <laughs> and I want them to play something live. That would be great. Wouldn't that be great? On the show? Yes! That's making huge production demands, man. <laughs> Have I not ever done that? <laughs> well, well. Whenever I talk about my production wanting to be great, you make fun of me, and now you're you're talking about you're talking about going and multi-tracking a band live. I'm talking about just get them doing something and just miking it and let stuff happen. They're a band. Yes, I they know have that. a drummer. That would be cool. <laughs> it would be nearly impossible. They could do some kind of like unplugged gig. Wow, that's that's I don't know. How about we just play some of the tunes off their CD and talk to them. <laughs> All right. All right. So I saw a film. saw a film called Fateless at the MWPAI.org. This was a really interesting film. We've had some blockbuster films made about the Holocaust. And prior to Spielberg making Schindler's List, back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was back in the miniseries days, like after Roots right. and all of those miniseries were out, they did one called The Holocaust, I believe. I don't and, remember that. Yeah, I think it was called The Holocaust. And that particular miniseries was a miniseries that was told through the eyes of two or three families. And the entire family's experience going through, as Jews, going through the camps or going through the Holocaust in whatever way they went through. This film, Fateless, was about a young boy, about 14, named Georgi or Georgi Koves. And he was a Hungarian Jew. And the entire film was his experience. And, of course, we experienced those around him as well. Mm -hmm. But I've never seen a Holocaust film told through the sole eyes of one of the concentration camp members. Yes, Schindler's List was basically told through one person's eyes, except they were Oscar Schindler's eyes. He was not a Jewish Jewish guy, and he was not subject to the the camps. He had his own camp of sorts. Right. (laughs) And... So that, first of all, was made this a very unique film about the Holocaust, and it was a beautifully photographed film, and it was such an interesting story because uh, he was taken off of a bus. He was on his way to work or something, this character was, and uh, the, the lead character, Yorgi Koves, was played by Marcel Nagy, 
and he was taken off of a bus on his way to work and he was sequestered with a bunch of other people who had the yellow stars on so we knew mm-hmm. they were being sequestered because they were Jewish and you didn't think anything bad was going to happen you really didn't actually and I didn't read the preview to the film so I didn't really know it was a Holocaust film to tell you the truth it dawned on me when I saw the yellow stars on their clothes right. that were they were made to wear and these were Hungarian Jews by the way this was told from the Hungarian perspective and ultimately, you thought things were going to be okay for these people, and they were going to be released when some orders came from above that would allow them to be released. But ultimately, they started being huddled and sequestered with larger groups of, of Hungarian Jews. And then, of course, they were put on those trains that we saw on Schindler's List, those awful cattle car trains. Yep. And then we knew the fate that was in store for them was not good. And despite the fact that this is a film about the Holocaust, it was told with quite a bit of humanity because, and I'm sure there were countless incidents like this in the camps where uh, another person would give their jacket to a person who was being cold or, or share food. But at the same time, I'm sure people were intensely uh, selfish because, you know, you, you, oh, when you're getting one bowl of soup a day, a piece of bread, you know, you kind of got it. You need as many calories as you can. And he was ultimately taken to a work camp, not a camp where they killed you directly. They killed you with by forcing you to do manual labor and then not feeding you much. So these people Mm -hmm. ended up dying terrible deaths as well, ultimately. But he ended up surviving. And it's a really interesting message at the end of the film. I mean, he there was a period where he was talking about when there were moments of joy in the camps. And ultimately, his message was, and we hear this from people like Lance Armstrong too, that if I can survive this, I can survive anything. And this was quite a marathon. This was a 140-minute film. And when I saw that ne- last week, when I saw that the, the next week's offering was going to be 140 minutes, I sort of went, oh, my God, I might not even go see that because the seats are very crowded and I'm six foot three. And, it, you know, it can be a quite an uncomfortable 140 minutes, mm-hmm. especially if the film is a loser. But this wasn't a loser by any stretch of the imagination. This was a very interesting tale told through one person's eyes as they survived uh, the camps. Yeah, it sort of makes you feel guilty, though, huh? Sitting there saying, I'm complaining about a 140-minute film in my seat when I'm dealing with the images of the Holocaust. Well, anytime I hear about somebody's arduous uh, endeavors, you know, things that they had to go through or were made to go through, I do feel guilty, you know? I mean, I complain... You know, when I don't get a long enough break at work and I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's far more important things in the world to be to be concerned about than this. And there are people far, far, far worse off in the world than you and I both are. And uh, we need to remember that all the time, all the time. Yeah. And I also think that it's a great idea to have more films like this come out that that show other sides of the Holocaust, because I think that the the stereotype, again, is the the uh, the German Jew, the Polish Jew in the concentration camps. But there are so many different other families and, and groups that are affected by this. So in this film, you're talking about uh, Hungarian Jews being affected by the Holocaust. And we see another side of it in like Life is Beautiful, the Italian Jews being affected by this. Oh, yeah. I forgot and I, about that. And I think the more that we get different sides of the story, the more we realize just how much of an impact this has had on society, even today. People keep forgetting about it. They can get wrapped up in their lives and forget about the Holocaust. But it, and I think it's uh, definitely still one of the, the most important events of, of this century, if not ever. And I would make a call for a few years before another film comes out. Actually, there's a pretty large body of work on this now. Very high quality films about this. Of course, I'm only kidding. I saw a <laughs> film um, 
I don't even remember what it was called. I don't remember if I reviewed it on here or not. It was about a bunch of high school kids who were collecting paper clips and they were going, they wanted to collect one paper clip for each person who had died as a result of uh, the Nazi, the Nazis. And ultimately they ended up finding one of those original cattle cars that the people oh, were really, and they brought it from Europe to their school, which was in Tennessee or one of the Kentucky, one of the Southern States. And they ended up restoring the cattle car and making and parking it in front of their school, their high school. And they ended up making it kind of a little walk-in museum with all the paper clips in there and, in and, and a variety of other artifacts, uh, a sort of little Holocaust museum. And they did this kind of as a uh, an exercise about intolerance because that was what the whole original point of this this they had offered a little course in in intolerance and then this led to the students having this idea to collect the paper clips and then this led to somebody going geez wouldn't it be neat if we could find one of those box cars cattle cars and i'll have to remember i'll have to look up and see what the name of that film was i don't know does that sound like something i talked about i don't think that you've mentioned it to me at least well it was a really good film when i uh, can figure out what it is we'll put it up on the website or we'll talk about it next week but anyway, I think that's like a show, Batman. Yeah. And we've got some extra noise in there, too. All kinds of cool sound effects on today's show. Including klaxons. And since we didn't say it before, this is Rich Wilgus. John Tellerico. And you've been listening to the Bloody Veg Guys. That's otherwise us. known as Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Yeah, check out our blog and website at www.bloodyveg.com. Leave us some email, feedback at bloodyveg.com. And, you know, put some attachments in there, too. Yeah, send us cool stuff. Credit card numbers. <laughs> and something we haven't gotten in a while is, like, audio feedback. Remember, we solicited that and got yeah. a couple of audio feedback. So if there's anybody out there who loves us, hates us, is indifferent about us, send us an MP3 talking about it, and we'll put you on the air or on the Internet or whatever this thing is we do. That's right. So remember... You've been listening to V-I-B. 